We're live, cool. So we're back with Deceive Reality. We're here today with Andrew Basso. Thanks so much, man, for joining us. Ciao, ciao a tutti. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, so how we get started kind of every week, uh, obviously for everyone that's watching, Dave has vanished. He's actually sick today, so uh, get well soon for Dave. Um, but uh, so, so how did you get started, Andrew? How did, how did magic how, kind of catch the bug? How did you start magic? Uh, my story starts back then when I was seven years old. Um, first off, it's very important where I come from. I come from a very northern Italy called Bogo Valsugana. It's a little town. It, back then, it was like, you know, five, six thousand people and very quiet uh, town surrounded by mountains. Um, and not much going on uh, usually. So kids plays, you know, in the main square, playing ball, uh, this kind of stuff. No much, no entertainment at all. So when something like a circus came to town, as a kid, for me, was the greatest thing ever. And so I saw this uh, white and red tent, and I begged my father to go in. And so he brought me in, and I remember the smell of the popcorns, the cotton candy, uh, the animals as well. And then the show started, and I see these people dressing up in a very strange and interesting way, doing incredible things. And I remember that was my first um, moment where I decided that in my life, I want to be part of the extraordinary uh, part of the magical world of entertainment. So that was my first step, my first approach. And I think one year later, we were in a, in a fair uh, in another place in Italy. And uh, I was walking with my mother and my father. And there is a group of people that they are paying attention to one guy that was standing there with a table with three cups and three balls. And so we go closer. I make space between the people to go closer. And this magician takes one of the balls, gives it in the hand of my mom. Then he takes the other one and make a vanish. And then he points to my mom. She opens and she had two. And I remember uh, the magic in the eyes of my mom. And as a eight years old kid, that was a thunder that struck me straight in the head uh, and was the beginning of the dream because I said, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to create in other people's life. And that was the beginning. That was it. So, so once, once you saw that reaction that, that the performer got, then you kind of wanted that for yourself. Yeah. Definitely, if I have to look back, that uh, the moment, definitely. Um, I do remember watching, on my mom was watching on TV, um, this guy uh, that was traveling from square to square in Italy, uh, doing a karaoke, uh, bringing people on stage. And this guy was kind of a showman, and his name is Fiorello. And he became very famous later.
uh, I want to make people uh, happy, uh, have people having fun. So definitely, these are the elements that build up what then became my career. It's amazing. We we actually had some uh, during the week we when we we uh, announced that you were going to be on the show. We had and some people messaged in some some questions. So I have one here. Um, what was the first escape you ever performed? What was the first? Uh, it's from Emma. And um, what was the first escape you ever performed? From Emma, thank you, Emma, for your question. Um, so my journey started, you know, with a deck of cards, of course, and then when I was around fourteen. In every book I was reading, uh, I was finding the name of Houdini. And Houdini did this, and Houdini did that. He was everywhere. And I was wondering what this guy did that made him immortal. We are still talking about him. And so that's how mm -hmm. my interest in escapology started to come in. And when I showed my interest in escapology, my mentor, I had a teacher when I was 12, my first mm, magic teacher, and uh, when I started to talk about escapology, he was like, eh, you know, leave it there. There is danger. You know, we don't want to go there. And of course, you know, as soon as I was mentioning something about that, my mom would like, don't try to do any of that. <laughs> and so anything, you know, that, that they were trying to close the door off, I was trying to open it a little bit more. So my interest grew up like that. My first escape, I think, my first, very first one was asking my father to tie me up with a, a, a long rope. So I saw this booklet um, and there was this guy on, on a chair with a, a long rope. So I went to the garage, took the rope. It was all dirty, I remember. And asked my father to tie me up. And he was like, are you sure? Yes, yes. And my father is the nicest guy ever. So he was making knots like this, you know, with a <laughs> ribbon. And I was like, no, 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 more, you know, make it tight, you know, it has to be real. And so he started to put better knots. And, and I remember I couldn't escape. I remember I was stuck there. And I remember this sense of frustration of not being able to get out. And so he was like, okay, let me, you know, undo the, the knots. And no, 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 leave me here. And I remember... I was there for a couple of hours. My wrists were purple and, you know, definitely that defined me in, uh, in that age in terms of here's a challenge. I'm going to make it. And I remember when I succeeded for the first time, I remember the, the, the feeling of uh, victory I had. And that was definitely my beginning in the journey of escapology. I think so because I mean I, I do a lot of escapes myself as well, and like I, we, we talked about this before, and I'm tagged as like Ireland Houdini kind of a thing, and I think escapes draws people in where you can't be as a skeptic as you are with magic. You know, you can be skeptic with magic, and but I think people see it as a skill level in es escapology that you have to be able to pick locks and 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 learn how to escape. Yeah, I do think that um, probably uh, escapology brings a level of empathy uh, of, of the audience on a deeper level because it's automatic if you see someone in trouble in a hard situation to get out of i think it's human to feel that empathy of is he gonna make it is he gonna so i think that brings you already on a level where uh skepticism uh is a way uh, although I, I think 
performing an escape for an audience, uh, especially when there is danger involved, um, it's quite hard to um, go in the direction where people are going to be uh, with you and believe that the danger is real. Uh, because I think, you know, we are so used today to watch mu action movies. And if a special effect is done poorly, people are like, come on, you know, uh, whatever. So same on stage. Um, I think the balance to find between being theatrical and being real needs to be find, found at a certain level for the audience of today. I think so too. And I think it's one of those, like you said, you mentioned Houdini with the um, trying to bring people into the mindset of the magician or, or the escape artist. Like when he, when he used to get people to hold their breath um, for the same amount of time. And now performers are still using that to today. So it has made that yeah. legacy, you know, kind of long, long after his death. Yes, absolutely. And especially when there are things that people experience themselves, like as you said, uh, you know, everyone had their head underwater one time in their life. And they know what it means uh, holding your breath. And they know how hard it gets, you know, after 30 seconds, after a minute. So I think certain escapes definitely uh, put people, the audience, right away into the mindset of, oh my God, this is real and this is going to be really dangerous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, and you want them to come on that journey with you. Yeah, yeah. They do it on a, on a safer level, sitting on their sofa or on their seat uh, yeah. and on the channel, right? For them to experience safely something that is going to give them uh, adrenaline, you know, their amygdala is going to go crazy, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just just they're so intense and and uh, you're you're so drawn in at that moment. So so you mentioned Houdini. Did you kind of research then as many books as you could find on Houdini? Because that's pretty much what I did. I just immersed myself in the in the life and times of Houdini. Yeah, you have to think that uh, back then when I was 13, 14, my research was in the local library. And was very little about magic, very little. But they had a computer and I could access through the internet, you know, uh, my first experience in a window to the world, you know. And I could search into websites that had stuff. And I remember I found a collector uh, back in America and he was selling Houdini stuff, books. And, um, and so... Oh, I was doing shows already, so I was making, you know, 10 euro here, 10 euro there. Sure. Um, and so those little money were totally dedicated to the investment of my future. So uh, I had all those books he had shipped to Italy. And I remember I had so much trouble. Back then there was no PayPal. You know, I didn't have a bank account. So shipping the money, sending the money was always like... like uh, a journey but yeah books were my first approach you know mostly were biographies they were not about secrets so mm -hmm. I think that gave me a lot of imagination to think you know how he would do certain things uh, and then I started experiencing myself and I think as you know there is no really much material about escapology um, so uh, my beginning was self-testing and failing and repeat yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love the way you said that your dad um, just tied you to a chair and you had to figure it out. You know, I, I love that. That's, that's, that's and, and that's the best way to learn, just to jump in the deep end. Yeah, 
yeah, I was very lucky that I had a, you know, a father that supported me. My mother wasn't very supportive in the beginning. She was very skeptic about me doing any of this. Um, then she became my first fan, you know, when things started to go well and she could see that it was a tangible uh, success what I was doing. Um, but definitely, yeah. Also, my friends tied me up, you know. It was a challenge here and there uh, with the tape and it, that was my first uh, experience, yeah. So, so we'll jump ahead then and then you, you're performing and you're doing these large-scale escapes and you've done some stuff. We had another question in actually from Tony and it was, what was the worst escape you ever did and would you ever repeat it again? Like as in, you only had to do it once. Would you ever, you know, that kind of a thing. Thank you, Tony, for your question. Uh, the worst escape, uh, I guess with worst, he uh, refers to something that may have gone wrong or I may well, have failed. What was the worst escape uh, you ever performed? Um, would you ever do it again? Okay. So in terms of worst escape, um, I have two, two answers. One, uh, it was a disaster because it, it did not turn out well as a performance. And uh, that was back when I was 17. Uh, I did my first TV show here in Italy. Uh, it was like um, a talent show, very local, very small. But for me, it was, you know, uh, being on the major channel uh, of, of, of the TV. And I won the first um, um, competition, so I went to the finals, semifinals, and then finals. And back then, I didn't really have a show, so my big finale was the mailbag escape. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, for those who don't know the mailbag escape, uh, the, the performer go inside of a bag that has these... Uh, holes uh, where a bar goes through to, to lock the, the bag where the escape art is inside, two locks on the outside, and then a, there is a curtain that covers up, and then the, the escape artist makes it out of the bag, and the locks are still there and everything. That was my big finale back then. So Good. I thought, well, for the final um, competition, you know, I'm going to do my big act. And so that was my thing. But I never liked the vision of the artist in the back on stage because, because it looked like a potato sack, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of ugly to see this bag moving with someone inside. I think it's funny. And I didn't want it to be funny. I wanted it to be dramatic. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, I thought, what if I put a chain that connects the shackle of the padlock on the right to the other one. So there is a chain. And then mm -hmm. the chain is going to be held from a hook from above there. So I'm going to have this vision of a triangle kind of. The chain, you see the bar perfectly straight. is not, yeah. you know. And then we see the bag right there. And the curtain, of course, to cover the method. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, uh, local TV show, everything is last minute no real time to rehearse, do rehearsals. I tell them, you know, uh, in the theater, you pull the, the, the chain motor down and we're going to hook the thing. So the chain and everything's going to be there. Fine. So I do my, my thing. They put me the handcuffs, the chain. I go inside the bag. They close the bag. 
I didn't have any assistance. I said, you know, the presenter is going to do it. So he did it. He put the, the bar through the, the holes, pulled the padlocks, the chain, they hooked the thing. And then the music starts. They were supposed to pull the curtain. And what happened is actually the guy working the theater thought, oh, it's my time to lift the bag up. And so the guy started to pull the chain motor Dude. up and I felt I started to levitate. <laughs> and yeah. I was totally surprised because I didn't arrange any of that. And uh, I knew that the mailbag I had, it was not made of canvas. It was some cheap cloth from a magic shop. And that thing was going to crack open soon. Oh. So... I was I started to scream as loud as I can as I could and uh, and so the presenter came closer and say what's wrong I'm not supposed to be out here bring me down so they brought me down they pulled the cordon up I did my escape I came out and people were very like uh, uh, they were very confused about was this supposed to happen or not so that mm -hmm. was the worst escape that I would not repeat in that way. Absolutely. Uh, uh, then if I'm sure in the following question, there will be some worse escape in, in terms of it was particularly dangerous and it turned out wrong. And I'll be happy to give an answer about that as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, I know when you're, when you're challenged for things like that, about like doing a piece for TV, I mean, the thing about with magic is you can rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it. And you can rehearse escapes to a certain point, but majority of what escape artists do is has to be live. It has to be in front of a big audience. You know, there's no, there's not very much room for error. Yeah. Yeah. Rehearsing escapes can be hard. First, you cannot really do it alone. So you always need assistance. Mm -hmm. uh, second, sometimes you need um, a structure or a location or a place that allows you to do it. You know, if you are hanging, you know, by a crane, you need a crane. If you want to be, Underwater, you either have a tank or you need a lake or a swimming pool. So uh, it's challenging. It's very challenging. Compared to magic, uh, there is a lot of effort also in being able to rehearse. Um, so you need to create, uh, uh, you know, your, your, your gym to, to make it happen. Absolutely, yeah. And then obviously there's a whole other side of escapology as well where you have to be fit and you have to keep conditioned. And I mean, there's a whole other part. And I think I, I remember talking to somebody recently and they were saying there's not very many like amateur or semi-professional escape artists. And I was just joking with them like there's loads of semi-professional and amateur magicians. But if you're a semi-professional or amateur escape artist, there's more than likely you're seriously injured or you're dead yeah. because yeah. you can't fake this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, escapology is quite a niche because uh, you cannot really fake uh, to be an escape artist. Um, and so there is a selection in the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. There may be magic made easy, um, but I don't think there is a escapology made easy, you know? No, no. <laughs> I think there are things that are easier than other uh, that you can begin with, but definitely, and, and also it's not, um, yeah, you, you need to test on yourself. You need your bruises, you need your, your accidents, you need your lessons. And uh, 
So he, I think he's only for those who really wants to do it and try on their skin. Um, Magic maybe is more popular on that level. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think over the last couple of years, though, it seems to be coming more kind of full circle, you know, with more international performers performing and people. And obviously that connection with Houdini will always be there because, you know, he's the, he's the great grandfather of all of, of uh, escapology. So and all the methods, well, not all, but a lot of the methods we still use today, um, you know, have come mm -hmm. on some way through through him. Yeah, I, I do believe that when there is something successful, uh, of course, it creates like uh um a following of uh, performers who would take that direction because it's a successful direction you know uh i get i guess that when you know someone like shin lim went on uh, on agt and became a winner i think a lot of the performers who thought eh, close up you know you can go really much far we close up you know they thought whoa that this is a game changer and so i'm sure that a lot of people went back or approached close up magic on a different with a different uh, perspective so uh, thank you Shin lim for doing that because uh, um that's bringing you know close up magic alive again in in 2020 um with the uh, with the scapology same uh, yes i agree with you that in the in the past years i've seen how talent shows are looking for things more dangerous you know mm -hmm. uh, we want to scare people we want to make it more dangerous uh, more phenomenal and uh, and so scapology definitely fits well this uh, this niche that they require I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's going to make good TV if it's you know death-defying and draws people in and all that kind of stuff. And that's what that's what the producers want, you know. But the fear of that is you might have someone who's like, well, I'll just give it a shot, and it's live TV, and it could go horribly wrong, you know. We there was that performer in India that that did the river escape, and yeah. you know, and he and he, he died from it. So you I mean it is, yeah. you know, you like you said, you can't you can't fake the the your methods. You have to know, and and like Houdini said, the the brain is the key. You know, it really is. If you don't have the knowledge, mm -hmm. you're in trouble. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I I know about that uh, sad episode of India, and there has been some more recent ones in some Spain TV show. There's been two guys who uh, passed out or almost passed out um, uh, doing an underwater thing. Um, mm -hmm. In the past five years, I've seen quite um, a few going that direction and and not because of the nature of the danger dangerous act itself mm -hmm. but because definitely the preparation that they didn't have there was a lack of preparation uh they didn't approach you know with professionals next to them how to train to hold the breath uh in a certain way so uh i mean I always say my number one uh, job right now when I have to bring an act is safety first. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm doing a dangerous act. I'm going to do a death-defying act, but my professional um, uh, approach has to be safety as much as I can in every possible direction. What's my plan B? What's my plan C? 
Um, am I training with the best people in that field? Let's say uh, I'm going to do an underwater escape. Am I training with the best people who do breath holding, who can train me for my purpose? Or, oh, I'm going to go in my bathtub and I'm going to try to hold my breath. And when I reach two minutes, I can go on stage. You know, um, yeah, definitely, you know, you 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 cannot really uh, approach in an amateur way uh, these type of things because you are gonna pay your your you're gonna pay the price with your own life and uh, these episodes that happened in recent years are you know um, pure examples. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard to say. Just saying that with, with injuries and stuff, what was the worst injury you ever have? I know Houdini used to say he could dislocate shoulders and all sorts of stuff for PR and publicity. Uh, well, talking of the rope, um, yeah, probably those years um, I was, yeah, in my teenager teenager career. Um, in the show, I was doing the, the rope escapes so on the chair. Mm-hmm. And so normally we will arrive and back then we would use what was on site. So I needed a chair. We take a chair of the audience. And this show back then had this plastic chair, right? And uh, I was tied up on that chair and my arms were on the side like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I couldn't really move or anything. And so I started to move. And one of, at some point I was doing this and then suddenly I lost my balance. And so with the chair, I lost the balance in the front and I couldn't move. And I did this on the floor oh. with my face first. And I remember with my teeth, as I was falling, I did this, you know, like I, I tensed up, Pretty but the was... I made a hole in my lips with my teeth because the, when I hit it, you know, I made a hole. So that was a stupid thing, but that was my first. Um, talking of you learn, stuff, you learn from those, Andrew. You, you learn from all of those. You know what I mean? You have to do those to learn from them. <laughs> yeah, definitely was nothing too serious, and definitely I learned how what kind of chair I'm going to use the next time. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Something that got went really wrong um, was in 2013. So seven years ago, I was in the final episode uh, at the finals of it Italy's Got Talent. Okay. So, you know, you have Britain's Got Talent and, and we had Italy's Got Talent. And so in the finals, between my escapes uh, options, they picked the coffin of death and uh, this is an escape that um, was invented back from mr escape steve baker oh yeah and uh, he was you know the first who um, joined stuntman abilities with the escape artist abilities and he created uh, extraordinary spectacular escapes with explosives and things like that so mm -hmm. the 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 coffin of death is uh, I'm inside of a coffin, wood coffin. Uh, inside, I'm uh, 
chained on my wrist and my ankle. So I'm like laying inside of the coffin. The coffin is nailed shut. They put explosive on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then they say, go. And I have 60 seconds to escape, crack the coffin, and jump out before a car at 100 miles per hour is going to hit the coffin. Yeah? <laughs> so, um, ta-da. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, much harder than a car trick. Yes. Um, so... The, of course, you know, as a showman, the escape is to calculate the time that your escape is going to happen as close as possible to the impact of the car and the explosion, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we made our rehearsals and everything. This escape, I performed it seven years earlier for another TV show. So this was my second time in 2013. Okay. You can find it on my YouTube, uh, Coffin of Death, Andrew Basso. You see everything. And uh, so we did the rehearsals. Everything was fine. But then and mm, the, the pyro technicians of the TV channel, going back a second, when mm-hmm. I do my escapes, I always bring my team. I have my assistants, my stuntman drivers, my pyro technicians. So back yeah. then... Um, I was about to bring my team and there were some expenses to pay and the TV channels say, oh, your pyro tax are too expensive. We are, we, we are going to use ours that are the number ones. Uh, they are the best people in the business. And I say yes. And so mm-hmm. I didn't have my people have their people. And for the final filming, these guys created something some mixture with their explosive and so i make my escape the car is coming with my stuntman driver that is great perfect timing i jump out the car hits the coffin explosion and then this big mushroom of fire atomic like an atomic bomb (laughs) yeah goes in the air and instead of evaporating like flash paper because that was, you know, an embellishment. Mm. Sure. I just needed the car to die. You know, I didn't need to, the, the explosion. But yeah. the explosion, instead of evaporating, this ball of fire just falls down again, exactly where I was laying on the floor. Crazy. And so this uh, material was still burning. And so it went over me and the combustion, the burning was happening on my body. So nobody was there with the fire extinguisher. Uh, were, you know, the TV production, nobody doing that. So by instinct, I stood up and I started to run and try to take the flames uh, off myself. That is a big mistake. I, I should not have done that as, either. Um, well, sometimes and, when that, with, 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 you know, like that, like a TV network and stuff like that, and you can't have, you know, your normal crew. I'm the same. I have a crew that we work with when we're doing stuff. And I, you, you do feel uneasy if you can't have everyone in place that's normally in place. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've, I've never, ever, ever again um, find a compromise when it's about your own life. You know, definitely yeah. that was uh, something I would not do. Um because I trusted they were the best people. 
but they created something that was not supposed to be what it was supposed to be. And, um, and so I was burned on my hand. I had a fireproof uh, suit, mm -hmm. thank God. And so, you know, like a um, Formula One suit type of yeah. thing. So only my yeah. face was out and my hands. And mm -hmm. so my hands was very badly burned, especially the right one. Uh, yeah. I had a very good surgeon in Padua, uh, Dr. Chiarelli, who really took care of my hand. And you can't really see anything today. Yeah. Uh, only when I get tanned, you kind of see, you know, the different color of the hand. But yeah. he did a, an amazing job. So, yeah, definitely that was my worst um, escape gone wrong. It, all, all escape artists need the story, man. You know, I burned this, I did this, I broke here. I do, you know, we, we all need that. You, you need the scars. Well, I mean, if you're going to do dangerous things in your life, you know, it's for as much prepared as you can be. Uh, sooner or later, you know, something is going to go wrong. Hopefully mm -hmm. not too much, you know, that you can tell the story. Um, yeah. But... Uh, if you're going to sit in an office and you're going to do your job, nothing's going to happen. If you're going to be, you know, climbing a mountain, uh, probably a scratch here and there or a fall or a broken leg. Uh, I think it's part of. Yeah, it really is. So so the, the, the illusionist then and touring with them, how did that all come about? Can you remember when you got the first call to be part of the show? Yes, it's been an amazing journey. So up until I was 27, uh, my career was strictly in Italy. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing my corporate shows, my private shows, some TV, I had two TV series. Uh, so things were going well um, mm -hmm. in, in, in those years. Then I was participating in a magic convention uh, in San Vincent called Masters of Magic. It's an Italian magic convention, national convention. And that year they were doing... Um, um, a gala show that was also a competition that was filmed for TV. And I was one of the contestants. And so I was performing some of my escapes, uh, like an upside down straight jacket, an escape from a, a, a small safe. Um, and in that show, one of the special guests was Brad Daniels. Oh. And of course... Uh, I've, I've always been a, a great admirer of his illusions and his performances. And so when he was there, I was like, you know, can I take a picture with you? You know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he saw me perform, perform there. And, um, and at the end of the show, he said, I need to talk to you. And um, as I say, do you like carbonara? And he's like, of course, it's my favorite pasta. Great. After, at the end of the show, I bring you in a place and we're going to have carbonara. So that's what happened. We're going to have the best pasta ever. And he's talking to me that he was um, into this project of being part of uh, a show where they were trying to put together the seven uh, best magicians in the world, each one with different skills. So, you know, the best car manipulator, the best mentalist, the best the big illusion guy. And so he yeah. starts to make these names like Kevin James, Jeff Hobson, Dan Sperry. I was like, what? This is amazing. And he's like, but we are missing one piece. 
of the puzzle. And the missing piece is the escapologist. And back then I had the mohawk. I was wearing, you know, kind of uh, leatherish, black, you know, stuff. And he was yeah. like, I think we are looking for someone like you. Wow. Because I, I, I saw you on stage. I like your style. I like your charisma. I like your look. So that was the beginning. And six months later, I was at the Sydney Opera House in Australia performing the very first show of what has been an incredible success for over nine years worldwide from Broadway to the Pantages to the Shasbury in London uh, in West End. And yeah, that was the beginning. It's, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, the difference between, you know, doing like a once-off stunt or like, like you said, the Coffin of Death type stunt and then doing something that you have to do every night, you know, on tour for, you just said there, nine years. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot different than trying to think of one thing for one big public stunt or something you've got to do re repeatedly. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the, the funny thing is when then I had the chance to talk with the producer of the show, uh, he was like, so can you send us a video of things you've done so we can look? And so I send a video of my TV series and he comes back to me saying, oh, the water torture cell, that's what we were looking for. So can we do that? And I'm like, well, I performed it only once for TV. So yes, uh, we have six months, you know, I can train again and get ready for it. And he's like, uh, we need to do it 18 times. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, we have two weeks. We need to do 18 shows. And, I'm, and I seriously say to him, I don't think I can do it. Like, yeah. that's a stunt. That's an act supposed to be once and that's it. Mm -hmm. And he was very, you know, uh smart producer uh, mindset saying, last try and we, we see. And this was smart because from that day on, I talked with my team and uh, they, they were saying, well, that's challenging, but let's start training for this. Yeah. So you are able to recover from performance and performance and be able to do it. And so I trained for the following eight months and I went to Sydney and uh, I did the 18 performances. And after that, I've done hundreds of performances per year. So uh, yeah. I'm very glad that the producer didn't, didn't believe that that was the limit, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a challenge yourself to do something like that, you know, regularly. Like, I mean, that's it's a it's a serious achievement in itself. I'm sure you're you're, you're probably one of the only escape writers that does it to that extent. I would imagine. Um, excuse me. Can you say it again? I'm saying you're probably the only magician that does that amount of that that effect to that to that amount. Mm. You know, or wise. Um. Well, I guess. Um. You know, usually with illusionists. We are touring eight to 10 months out of a year. Mm -hmm. And so we reached between 250 and 300 shows uh, during that amount. Whoa. That means that per year I'm doing 250 or 300 uh, underwater water tortoise cell escapes. 
Yeah. Now multiply for the nine years, and then it becomes few, you know, some thousands of times. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably in the Guinness Book of Records, or or it should be. This is a <laughs> this is the show that we always talk about. It's called the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the idea is that you talk about a time in your career. I know you've been talking about loads of like ups and downs and things and things already, um, and kind of and and injuries and things. But it's kind of a time where you thought something was going to be really good. And it kind of turned bad, and then by the end of it, it was really ugly. Or you can tell a story for each thing. So a really good one, a bad one, and an ugly one. I think I have a story. Um, I actually recently published an interview um, on a major um, kind of Jimmy Fallon show, but of Denmark. So you're not that far from there. Um, so I was in Venezuela with illusionists. Mm -hmm. Guns and Roses played a week earlier where we were going to be. So awesome. the feeling of our vibe was um, So we go into this arena, it was 7,000 seats. Um, it, it was going to be like uh, one or two weeks of shows. Mm -hmm. um, so Venezuela, amazing. We are in uh, Caracas. Uh, there is the arena. Uh, people are going crazy for it. I walk out on stage. We were using pyros for the opening because uh, in certain countries, it's easier to use pyro effects. And, and we had these explosions. It was amazing. It was really a rock concert show. It was amazing. Cool. So this is the good. Okay. <laughs> Then uh, it's time for my performance. It was like an afternoon show, I think four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we had lunch in the catering of the arena. And before performance, I don't really eat. Usually I fast. Uh, mm -hmm. But since I had five hours before, I said, I can eat something. And I really had like a cup of rice. Was this yellow rice? So okay. nothing, you know, it was not... Uh, anything crazy a cup of rice mm -hmm. so I had it and then you know it's time to do the show it's 3 o'clock we do the opening everything is amazing uh, people are going crazy uh, so we are all pumped up it's time for me to do water cycle. so I do my 45 minutes of breathing exercise and training uh, so I have to focus I have to lower my heart rate I need to visualize what I'm going to do, walk on stage, I do my presentation. Uh, they lock my feet into the torture stocks. They rise me up. They move the tank under me. And then I, I'm there breathing. I take, you know, usually five deep uh, breaths. And, you know, in, the, in that timing, I'm scanning myself. Am I feeling good? I'm ready. I'm set. And so in the last breath, the air, I take it in, and the meal I had for lunch from here, uh, I was upside down, okay? Yeah, yeah. So the meal <laughs> arrives in my mouth. And I was able to hold it, so mm -hmm. I was not going to throw it above the tank. Yeah. So that's the bad. 
and the ugly as well. Yeah. Uh, and so in that moment, I was like, I have 7,000 people. It was the first show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stop everything. And how I, so I thought, okay, let me see. So I sent what I had in my mouth back. So I swallowed the meal. It was the worst thing ever. Of course. <laughs> and then I, I, I felt myself, my assistant was looking at me because he didn't know what was going on. It was like, mm-hmm. what's wrong, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so I swallow it and then I check myself. That was crazy. How am I feeling? Can I do it? Am I prepared for this? Yes, I'm ready. And then I did the performance anyway. And I did it like every other performance. Except I kept on hold the, the thought of that. And so I released it only at the end, you know. Um, when it came out, everything was fine. And um, But yeah, definitely that was the, the, the bad and the ugly episode of, of Venezuela. Absolutely. That, that's got everything all in one story. Yes. Um, <laughs> so how, it how was that? Again. It didn't happen again. Uh, I paid yeah. much more attention on, you know, so now I have like... Uh, now we have our catering. I have my people cooking, or you know, uh, or keeping more hours, or or sometimes I, I I've been traveling with my own kitchen as well um, because in some countries can be pretty hard uh, to mm-hmm. get certain things, and so I was just cooking, you know, uh, white boiled rice or white just pasta uh, in my own dressing room. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean as well about not eating like a, a meal or anything kind of big before a performance, even just any kind of performance. Yeah, and there's, that, that's that's documented in some um, of the Houdini books as well. That he was actually quite the same. And then afterwards, they'd all go out for like a big meal. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> the big meal after well, is always uh, welcome. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you survive, you get a big meal. It's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's the goal. That's the motivational goal. Absolutely. Well, man, it has been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. It's 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 been an honor just to have a chat and and uh, to a fellow escape artist and uh, just to have you on the show. It's been it's been brilliant. No, thank you very much. I hope uh, this will be you know a good opportunity for your listeners in Ireland and international, since uh, now the these things can be seen worldwide from anybody who has the link. You know to be inspiring uh to have a thought and definitely if you are into you know escapes or any kind of dangerous performance uh safety first uh, there is not a, ch- a second chance uh if, if you if you screw up so that's your life so safety first work with the professionals have a good consultant have great people around you uh and i hope this interview was um uh, a little something for your own inspiration. Yeah, man, it was absolutely perfect. And that's great advice for anyone uh, listening as well, because it is hard, you know, even when I started myself, it's very hard to talk to another escape artist or even, so, I mean, yeah, if, if there is anyone watching, you reach out to either of us and we'll, 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 we'll tell you what to do instead of having you, you know, do an injury to yourself. Yeah, thank you, Spade. Thanks very much, man. Cheers, I appreciate it. Have a nice time. Thank Thanks. you. Ciao. Ciao, everybody. Bye-bye.